Welcome back to the Project 24 blogging podcast. This is episode 179. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Um, It's funny, I have a giant elephant, uh, (laughs) stuffed elephant, let's say, right next to me. And uh, we keep having like these little pranks happening all over the (laughs) office. It's uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, we'll have to take a picture or something and uh, post it. Actually, yes, that would be perfect. We'll have to do that. Yep. Awesome. Well, let's get to some questions from you in the community. So the first one is from Kyra Black. And she says, I have doubts about choosing the niche for my website. I came to this course with the idea I would like to do a weight loss website. I found out it is YMYL. And so I got this idea to write a blog post and then create a YouTube channel about weight loss and my story and send people from the channel to the blog. I know it would take much longer altogether because I suppose it wouldn't get any traffic from Google for a li- very long time. But do you think I can get my credibility from the YouTube channel? I know I need to avoid some topics with medical content. I wanted to make sure about my own perspective and uh, physiological hacks. And then psychology is also YMYL. So I am not sure whether it would be poorly ranked too. Then there would be recipes, but Jim and Ricky said it is tough to rank for recipes unless they are somehow weird. (laughs) (laughs) I would very much appreciate your point of view because I got a bit stuck here and I'm unsure where my next move should be. Yeah, so weight loss is tough. Um, Weight loss on YouTube is definitely a lot better. Um, So, okay, on a blog, the only way we're getting traffic is basically through Google search and then maybe some through social. Like if you can, if you can just nail Pinterest, then great. Or, um, as you said, YouTube on YouTube, the ways that our content can get discovered are a lot broader. We have a lot more opportunity to have our content seen through, um, just all of the suggestion algorithms that, that exist. And so if you can make a compelling video, if you have a compelling story, If you have um, video footage and content with before, like visibly people can see kind of the before and after the transformation, um, that kind of content has a lot of potential on YouTube. It's not a given. I've seen it. um, I've seen it flop in some videos before, but um, if it's done well, I've seen videos that just get millions of views because they're inspiring. Um, And then, you know, when you take that and sit and share specific aspects of uh, your journey and some of those um, kind of mental hacks, right, that you've created. I think that's great. Um, and then using the blog as the more like inf- informational place where you send people like um, uh, to, to get the, the more informational side of it, whereas the video is kind of the more like, um, I mean, it can be informational too, but it's also sort of the inspiring um, feel good connection. Um, connection is a big thing on YouTube. And so as people are are going through their own journey. They want to feel like they're connected to other people. And so when you make videos, you know, and you kind of talk about those experiences that you're still having, that you're working through um, and all of that kind of stuff, I you can build that connection with people. Uh, so, so that's something in the YouTube system that you can learn a lot about is kind of those different archetypes. And so um, anyway, I do think there's a ton more potential on YouTube. Uh, I guess the reason to do the blog first, I'm, I'm assuming, is that you want to have blog content so that when you make videos, you have something already in place to send people to. 
Um, and that, I guess that does make sense. Um, but like you say, it's probably going to be a little while because you're going to spend time creating this blog and all the content, or at least a fair amount of content before you really ever start putting in the effort for YouTube. So yes, it's doable. Um, I don't think those like mental hacks and stuff are too psychology um, driven or too, too YMYL. Um, nobody's nobody's going to adversely like harm themselves because they, you know, used some sort of like mental trick to get themselves to do, <laughs> to be more disciplined or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> so I don't think that falls like super far into the psychology place um, or space. Just, you know, be careful about that. Don't get too like psychology heavy. And, and I would probably stay away from areas that could be, um, that could that somebody might look at that, a psychologist might look at that and say, ooh, that actually could be really harmful mm-hmm. um, to a person, maybe to their mental health or whatever it is. So, um, but as long as it's not anything like life critical, you're probably pretty okay. And YouTube can drive a lot of that interest and a lot of that traffic. So I would, I would move forward if it's the thing that you really want to do. Just know it's going to take longer and it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. Um, it never is easy, but this is going to be, you're adding challenges. <laughs> but if this is the thing for you, then go ahead and do it. Recipes, likewise, uh, yes, they're hard to rank because there are so many recipe bloggers, even in the fitness space, um, healthy recipe bloggers. There's tons of them. But you can create content around food preparation and then have recipes as um, good resources for people that you link to. And those recipes are still really beneficial on the website because you have them, you've created them. Um, but they probably won't drive a lot of incoming traffic. They'll just be one of the things on your website that helps with your credibility and helps make the website extra helpful, makes people potentially want to come back. Mm-hmm. So those are my, I guess, my thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh, just by the way, earlier I said physiology. I meant to say psychology, That's just correcting right. myself <laughs> there. But uh, I totally agree with all the things that you said, Ricky. I would just say, you know, something that could help you a little bit more with the recipes is you can make videos for YouTube yeah, with too. recipes. Um, you could either make the video about something else related to the recipe and then use that as part of the video and also point it to your blog post. Yeah. And then also embed that video in your blog post and point it back to the YouTube channel. Yeah. That's a great idea. If like in a video you, you were just as part of the video, I mean, it could be as simple as like, you're like, Oh, and you know, I'm going to grab one of these, um, one of my energy bars that I make. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, there's a link to the recipe with all the instructions on how to make it in the description that, that could be something that you even mention just in videos Mm -hmm. um, fairly often or just every now and then. um, And you end up getting traffic to the recipe, getting them over to the blog, which does have a lot of added value. If we can get people onto the blog from the YouTube channel, um, the odds of us being able to earn a better income from that, I think go, go way up. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Next one is from Earleaf 15. And they say, if golf was your niche, and you had written everything about the masters and wanted to rank for the keyword, the masters, how would you attack this? Would you use the title, the masters, a complete guide, question mark? The reason I ask this is because Wikipedia is number two for this. If I have a structure of the history, the layout of the course, and I use infographics, etc., I feel I could get the number two spot. Obviously, golf isn't my niche, but I'm using it as an example. Has anyone attacked keywords like this before? 
So this is an interesting question. Um, in part, like I, I do think, yes, a lot of your approach makes sense. If we have a lot of content covering that topic, for in this example, the masters, um, potentially several blog posts covering different aspects of it that we can link out to from a more pillar post, you know, the, um, a solid staple post that's really like foundational pillar content for the website. Um, and then that, that article, probably I would include the masters in the title in large part because users need to know that that's what it's really about. Like when somebody, if it, for it to show up in a search result and for people to feel confident enough to click on it, they need to know that they're getting what they came for. Now, this raises a different question for me. And that question is, what is the value or what is the point in ranking for a term like the masters? If somebody searches like the masters, what are they looking for? Are they looking for generic information about the tournament? Are they looking for information about the course? Are they looking for um, how to watch it? And how many people are just searching the masters versus the searches that contain the words the masters? And so I think that's one of those areas. I, I get this all the time from um, people that comment on the YouTube channel. They're like, oh, yeah, of course this works for your long tail keywords, but try ranking for something like SEO. I'm like, okay, but Why? When somebody searches SEO or the masters, Google doesn't know what they want without any other context. And so Google throws up a whole bunch of different resources. They'll usually throw up a Wikipedia page because it's going to kind of cover what the masters is, which is probably what people are looking for. But they also might throw things up like, you know, information about the tournament, the course, when it airs and on what TV station, like all sorts of things that, they're all different queries. Same thing with SEO. If I just search SEO, one of the top things Google shows me is a list of local SEO agencies. You know, like if that's not what I am, then what's the point in trying to, to rank at the top for that other than you just assume, well, it gets a lot of searches. Well, there's a lot of searches that contain SEO. There's a lot of searches that probably contain the masters. So for me, I would much rather create content with a specific search intent in mind, because then I can create a resource that better fits the need of the user. And when I create a resource that better fits their need, it's a lot easier to convert them either to another article, um, to an info product, to whatever it is. So like, it's a, I can create a better resource for the user if I target a specific query. Mm -hmm. And that query doesn't have to be super long tail. It could be something as big as like, what is the master's tournament? You know, like, that's more specific. If I just do the masters, again, we have all those questions, but what is the masters? Like, oh, they are looking for Wikipedia style content. We, we can rank for that kind of stuff uh, by doing exactly what you described here. But I think it's really, one of the reasons it's really hard to rank for the generic term with no other context is because since Google doesn't know what the, what the user wants, they have to provide search results that match two dozen other potential queries. Um, and so they only get to pick the one or two top responses for each of the different queries that they think might be being asked, if that makes sense. So um, again, whenever I get that question like, yeah, well, what if you want to try to rank for SEO? It's like, I don't want to. I don't care to. Um, because chances are, even if I rank for it, there's a wide, there's like a huge portion of the people searching that 
that my answer, my article, isn't the resource they wanted. And so even if they click on it, they bounce and they're gone. Like, what's the value for me of that? Anyway, so that's a, that's a, it's a different question than you asked. I do think the approach that you talked about here, though, is, is, is pretty great. If you want to try to rank for those big keywords, those big topics, go for it. Create this awesome resource. Cover the topic, all these different angles of the topic. Um, like you talked about, um, give it a headline that makes it really clear. Like, like you said, the master's, a complete guide or, you know, the master's. And then you could maybe even do like a, um, <laughs> I forgot what we call these, um, a buffet style title, sorry. <laughs> um, where it's like, you know, the master's, uh, history, um, tournament info and you know like what are the kind of the different areas that you cover within the article I, I would give it a headline like that or like the one you gave here um, and I think you have the potential to rank for that mm -hmm. especially if you cover again that tournament in great detail on your website and you um, can always link to those smaller articles yes. that have um, you know lesser competition and still some search volume you know, such as, you know, of course, I have not uh, vetted this, but do your search analysis, like such as who is the tallest golfer yeah. in the Masters? Who's the oldest golfer? Where is the Masters located? What's the mm -hmm. history of that? Link those all together right. so people can head to those different questions. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Awesome. Next question is from Pete Blogs, and they say... I'm trying to organize content better on my site and create a smart silo strategy for linking between related posts. Problem is I have like 600 plus posts, so I don't think a simple Google sheet is going to cut it. Does anyone have any tools or systems that they use to manage your silos? So um, I've been thinking about this quite a bit actually, because when we do our search analysis, um, you know, I have the blogging tool spreadsheet. Uh, I, I, I like it. I think it works pretty well. But when it gets down to like organizing the content on the site, I agree. It kind of falls flat. Um, I would like to have something that's more visual and where I can visibly see the connections that either I want to make or that I um, have made so that I could look at it at any point and be like, you know, what articles does this one link to? Oh, these three or whatever. Um, and that would be really awesome. So one thing that I've thought about is using a tool like um, ClickUp, Monday, Airtable. They all have a lot of this functionality where you can create like a Kanban board. So it's like columns. We do this, by the way, for um, like when we're planning out our YouTube videos. We do this for um, when we're planning out our courses the phases right now, like we have it set up. So it's like phase one. And then it's like, these are all the lessons. And the reason I really like the Kanban style is, um, I mean, <laughs> the Kanban is kind of built more to be like different phases of the project. Um, but I like to use it for this kind of organization because uh, you can usually easily drag, like you can create like, okay, here's a blog post and here's all the information about this blog post. But then it's like, oh, you know what? I actually want to group it here instead. And so I can just drag that over into a different column um, very easily. And visibly, I can see it. Now, what I don't know is if any of these tools have the capability to like show visibly, like show a link between different, the different things in there. So that would be really cool is if you could like click on one, 
and see what are all the different things it links to um, very easily. Easily, um, That would be really cool. I don't, again, I don't know if this exists, uh, but one of those three tools is I'm considering um, looking at one of those tools as potentially um, some, something where I could make a nice template for managing the structure of a website of all the content and then provide that template to Project 24 members if they wanted to use it that way because I think it would be more, even more powerful than what we can do with a spreadsheet. But I don't have a definitive answer. I'm just throwing out some thoughts I've had about the, that topic. Yeah. All right. Next question from Naomi Figueroa. <laughs> they say, as I'm looking at the publishing timeline, I'm wondering how bloggers in niches that require going places or creating things manage the frequency. All of that time plus original photography isn't included in the two to four hours of researching, writing, publishing in order to pump out a significant amount of content. Is it feasible to publish 15 to 30 posts in a month in these types of niches without outsourcing? I want to challenge myself, but also not get burnt out. My new site is a local travel blog, so it's definitely more feasible for me to do on-the-ground experiences on a regular basis than it would be with a broader travel site. I always try to think about various angles, side trips, etc., so I'm able to get more than one post out of a visit somewhere, but even 15 posts in a month feels pretty daunting. Yeah, um, and I'd love to hear, Anna, what you think about this too, because I know you've done this with some... Um, stuff on cook for folks too, where you do some, like you make foods or do things. Um, and it, mm. it definitely adds more time to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, some thoughts I have, the first one I had, you actually kind of covered here, which is like, um, if I'm going to go out and go somewhere, then how do I make the most out of that? And the easiest way to do that is to make sure we have a fair amount of search analysis done before we go do the thing. So we can look for all the different posts that could benefit from that. So uh, whether it's traveling to a location or it could be, like you mentioned, doing things, right? Maybe I wanna do a study and gather some data. Well, if I expand the study by one more thing or if I'm gonna do a survey and if I add one more question, suddenly I get a whole other blog post out of it, um, then I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. So really it's like, how do we you know, apply the things we do to more things, uh, to more articles, uh, more topics, more queries that we can answer. So that's, I think, going to be the key is, is just planning, better planning. If we, if we ever, if we sit down one day and say, okay, I want to work on this post. Okay. I need to go to this place or I need to go do this thing. Um, we're not going to make very good use of our time. So, um, it helps a lot to do the search analysis by, um, category or kind of cluster subcategory of content because that one, it makes it a lot easier for the research. It makes it a lot easier for me to find topics when I'm just kind of focused on one aspect of my niche. Um, but then when it's time to do original research, whatever it is, whether it's contacting uh, like an expert, going places, doing the photography, doing a study, a survey, basically I can be researching five articles at the same time. So anyway, that's my thought and my approach to it. Um, I'm, it's okay if we need to slow down a little bit on the timeline. If it's like, okay, I can do that, but I can do like two of those a month, like 10 articles. Mm -hmm. Okay, but can we do 10 articles fairly consistently? If so, you're going to be fine because, um, you know, we try to front load it 
mostly so we can get traffic as early as possible. Um, but then after a while, most people slow down on the content creation. So if you can just maintain those five to 10 blog posts a month, a little bit longer term, it's going to be okay. And if you're doing that kind of original research, the benefit of that I think is enormous. The other thing to do would be to mix in posts that don't require that, mm-hmm. that, that you can use the knowledge you have, photos you've already taken, or maybe even just like stock photos in some cases, like just the more generic um, blog post that just, this is information, but it doesn't require much like original research. I can just, I know this stuff. Let me just tell you from my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, experiential knowledge is just as good as original research in some ways when it's based upon your personal experience and you have some expertise in your niche. Um, and those kinds of articles are easy to write. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah. so some of my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And the, this is something that we've done on Cook for Folks and um, something that I'm continuing to do. But an example would be like um, an article that's done really well on Cook for Folks, especially during the um, holiday season is how much mashed potatoes do you need for say 30 people and we also include a graph in there that gives you different amounts so 10 people 20 people 30 people 100 people Um, and so we also created a video for that on YouTube so that's another way to get the most bang for your buck there Um, I actually made a lot of mashed potatoes from instant potatoes I went out to Winco and, and bought them and took the pictures for the blog, but also took the video. Um, And then some other examples of some smaller articles that I could write are like, can you eat mashed potatoes that are left out overnight? Um, You know, what's the best kind of potato to use for mashed potatoes? Um, All kinds of articles like that. Maybe I could include it in like a catering type article. Like what are the best foods to serve at a wedding? at a family reunion, at a Christmas party, and you use those photos and that information from the original mashed potato article in those blog posts as well. I realize that traveling around your city is gonna take even more time because you're you're traveling, um, but like you said, Ricky, it's okay to use a little bit more time. I do when I'm taking pictures, original photos and stuff for a blog post, but I also mix in a lot of those articles, the kind of standard articles where you just sit sit down and write, but I'm also using my knowledge of the niche that I already have, so they go by pretty fast. So yeah. you could do a good mix of those throughout the month. So don't be afraid to take a little more time, especially if it's going to be a really great resource for the reader. If you're going to have a complete resource there with Lots of great uh, photos, videos, graphs. It's very visually pleasing to them. Um, that's going to be worth it in the end for you. Yeah, absolutely. I would also say, like, take more photos than you need. So, like, if you're out and about and you're taking photos and you're like, okay, I want a photo like this for the post and I need one of these and I need one of these. It's like, okay, but go take some more because as you write some of these blog posts in the beginning, it's going to feel like you have to do a ton of work for each one. But over time, like you're going to have done a lot of this work. And then later you're going to come up with a few more article ideas where you can reuse some of what you did before. Mm-hmm. So you can throw in another image of this place you went, but it's a different image than the one you used before, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, you know, just take an extra couple minutes, take a few extra photos, 
Um, like I said, if you're going to do a survey, uh, ask an extra question. Um, even if you don't have a specific use for it, if it feels like it fits, go ahead and ask it. Um, we don't want surveys to get really long, but it's better to get a little bit of extra data because you may end up coming up with another search query later um, or several where you could rely on this research that you already did. And then it's going to start flying. It's going to start going really fast. And you're going to have tons of original research that you did before that you don't have to redo. Yeah, another thing I was thinking about as far as like the travel niche or exploring your city is like, say you're writing about the Denver area or something, you could write an article about top 10 best things to do in Denver, say, and you have a really cool hike included on there or something. Mm -hmm. Take the, the pictures, you know, from the hike and stuff, but you also write an article like best hike in Denver. So yeah. you use those pictures and like you said, use the different pictures that you didn't use in the other article uh -huh. in that main one. So you've got like, you know, like that top 10 list and then make articles for all of them, uh, you know, as long as you've uh, vetted it through search analysis and they have the opportunity. Yeah, totally. I love that. Um, that reminds me. So one of the sites that I aspire to work on, um, that I want to do a lot more of it myself. So that's why it's going <laughs> so slow. Um, but it's one, you know, about just, um, um, preparedness kind of like not homesteading, but like growing some of your own food. So there's some gardening, there's sustainability food preservation. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of covers a lot of things. And, um, so anytime I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be canning some grape juice. Well, I better take some pictures and maybe some video, um, while I'm doing it and just pull out my phone, get a little bit of footage. Um, because that's stuff that I'll probably be able to use later, even though I haven't written the blog post yet. And even though I don't even have like, I don't have the search analysis done for what are the exact topics I'm going to write about, mm -hmm. but it's going to be a lot better for me to have those videos. And it's going to be a pain for me to be like, okay, I want to write a video about bottling grape juice, but dang, grapes aren't going to be in season until the fall. Um, really, like, ideally, you pick the grapes, like, after the first freeze. Mm -hmm. So I got a while to wait. I can't write that article now. It's like, well, except that I bottled grapes last year. Mm -hmm. If I took pictures when I did it, I can write that article whenever. In fact, I could write it now in preparation for the fall so that by the fall, it's ranking. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, while you're doing stuff, even if you don't have an article in mind, just get the photos um, you know, do the research, ask the questions, whatever. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're out and about and there's a place that's really cool, but very familiar to you and you're like, ah, you know, this is something that everybody knows of, but not really to an outsider who's traveling around your city. Uh -huh. Um, that might be something just very novel to them and unique somewhere they might want to visit. So take a little bit of time and, uh, take some photos and like you said, do some research while you're out and about. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have anything else for today? I don't. I think, um, no, I think these are great questions and I think it's awesome, um, that you want to do this original research and create this really good resource. I think that's going to pay off in the long run, even though it's going to take more effort. Um, yeah, don't burn yourself out of doing it. Let's just find the right, the right balance mm -hmm. that fits your schedule. Yep. And it's going to pay off. Yeah. Especially with a very visual topic like yeah. that. 
readers are going to really appreciate those original photos, uh, you know, as compared to maybe some of the other articles out there that are ranking. Maybe they don't have the original photos and right. the original experience. So awesome yeah great questions this week well thank you so much for listening to the project 24 blogging podcast and have a great rest of your day Project 24 is a product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but it's not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.